We are FBC Summit, leading everyday people to love Jesus and make Him known. Thank you so much for joining us today. Here's our pastor, Dr. Larry LeBlanc. It is fascinating. We just got through walking, our staff just walking through a book together on cultural Christianity. And let me tell you a little bit kind of how that came up. Um, About four months ago, I got a call um, from a gentleman who was wanting to lead a pastor's conference, and he asked me if I would help head that up. And I said, well, I'd be happy to. Do you have, what, am, what do you have in mind? What, what, what are you thinking? He said, well, I, I want to do, do a pastor's conference on cultural Christianity. So I said, okay, that's a, that's a broad topic. Like if I just told you we're going to have a conference on cultural Christianity. And I asked him, I said, do you have any kind of thing more, more specific? He said, no, you just kind of take that topic and run with it. So I thought on it for about a day, uh, and I walked in Brian's office one day. I said, let me just run something by you. If somebody told you you were going to host a conference on cultural Christianity and you could go any direction you wanted to go with that, how would, how would you think that you would go with that? He said, I don't know, but he pulled a book off his, sh- off his shelf, and the book is titled Cultural Christianity, how to reach the unsaved that think they're saved. Now, that's a, that's a big topic. And so I thought, well, let me check this out. It's not a real big book. I don't know, what, 150, 175 pages. So I got to reading it, and I, and I finished it up, and I immediately ordered copies for all our staff and passed it out. So once a week, normally um, through about three times a year, we try to walk through a we try to walk through a book together. And as we walk walk through that, um, and as I was studying that in, in preparation for the conference, it occurred to me that as we were reading it together, that when we talk about cultural Christianity, not just in the United States, but in the Bible Belt and in Mississippi and in Southwest Mississippi and in a small town. We have a specific brand of cultural Christianity. And what I mean by that is, it is that there are people here who identify as Christian as soon as they identify with their race. Now, follow me on this. They would check the box. If you were to ask anybody in our area, what what religion are you? What percentage of people do you think if they were checking a box would mark Christian? How many do you think? Take a guess on percentage? Probably, you pro- probably close to 90. Close to 90 would, would, would say they are a Christian uh, in our area. Now that's a fascinating statistic. But let me throw this out to you before we go any further. Do you think over 90% of the people in our area are saved? Okay, so we agree on that. Uh, I agree with you 100%. 90% of the people in our area are not saved. So what is the difference in trying to minister where we are and trying to minister in certain foreign lands? Right, because over 90% think they are, you have a huge number of people that don't think they need any help. They're good. They're absolutely good. Do you have any church involvement? No, 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 no. How's your walk with the Lord? Me and God are fine. 
You've been reading your Bible? Well, I mean, I have one. You know, my grandmother, whew, she's a wonderful lady. I went to VBS, you know, all those times. I mean, I remember that time I, I, I got that card filled out. I'm a member down there. I mean, I'm, I'm at Mount Nebo. I got, they got me on the roll. I was baptized when I was eight. Well, your lifestyle doesn't seem like you've, well, I mean, no big deal, right? I mean, Lord forgives. I would tell you that we're probably more defined by country music than we are by the gospel where we live. Because most people's gospel comes from country music. When you think about it, the other day I shared with our staff, I'm driving down Highway 44. I take a right on River Road. I'm headed, I'm headed to the office. And I switched, I switched from XM and I went to FM and I went from FM, I was on Super Talk, and then I went to K106 and uh, Benji was doing birthdays that morning. He was calling out people's birthdays and it went into a song and I don't, and, and the song was this. It just started off the song and this was the song. When I die, I want to come back as a country boy. And I thought about it. You could play that at any ball game around here and there would be people... This is what he said. I don't want to come back if my neck ain't red. Oh, people be putting their hands over their heart. Swaying. Be some fool with a Bic lighter. I, I, so I kept listening to the song. I'm all the way down River Road. I take a left on 570. I, the song's still playing. I mean, he's getting it after it, telling all the things about country cooking and how if he don't get to rebuild carburetors in the next life, things ain't going to be good. And, and so I'm listening to this, and I'm just thinking, you know, most of the people of the no, over 90% that could say they're Christian would sing this song, and it would actually hit an emotional stirring in their heart. Because we love mama, we love fried chicken, and we love the South. We love football, we love deer hunting, we love certain cultural elements about where we live, and because of that, many of us erroneously think that Christianity is a part of one of those cultural elements. But I want you to know you can't be a Christian by culture. I've seen this. I've had a conversation with people here and asked them this. When did you come to know the Lord Jesus? And I've had more than one person tell me, well, I've always been a Christian. That's an interesting comment. I've always been a Christian. So I'll follow that up. You were born a Christian? Oh, yeah, I've always been a Christian. Well, hopefully you already are seeing a faulty understanding of the gospel with that answer. But oftentimes, when we grow up in a cultural environment of Christianity, and it seems like that it is part of the air that we breathe, what can often happen is where when we send people to a mission field, we're going to minister to people that don't know God, that don't know the name of Jesus, that admittedly would not check the box Christian. Here I would tell you it is a very difficult place of ministry because there are those, question one, who are not born again but who call themselves Christian. 
you got your Bibles, um, we're actually going to study this particular topic for two weeks. Next week, we won't have church next Wednesday night, but the following Wednesday night, we're looking at, we're still talking about the written in red, but we're going to do a little mini-series uh, over the next couple of times that we're together, talking specifically about cultural Christianity. Tonight, we're going to look at part one from Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. There'll be verses that you recognize and recognize well. Um, in fact, I think these may be the red letters that need to be preached across the southern United States. Um, they need to be preached everywhere. Um, but they especially, we need to come to a place where we allow them to ring true because I think it's going to inform a lot about the way that we understand church membership, about the way we understand um, people's walk with the Lord, about what it means to be born again, about what it means to confess Christ. And Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform miracles? And I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoer. I'll tell you why that strikes me as so troublesome. These are people that are claiming to do miracles in Jesus' name driving out demons in Jesus' name. That's a whole nother level than the cultural Christianity that I'm talking about. The people that we're talking about are going to say, I was on the roll down there. I got baptized down there. I went to VBS down there. My mom and daddy gave enough money to build such and such down there. We dedicated our babies down there. And there's going to be a lot of people with that story in front of the gates of heaven that are, going to be, that are going to hear, depart from me, for I never knew you. Because the gospel is not and never has been what's your church affiliation, what's your baptism date, how many times did you attend VBS, how many disciple nows did you go to, how many youth camps did you go to, how many times did you walk an aisle, whether or not you went to church, whether or not you didn't go to church, whether or not you showed any involvement. If there's absolutely no fruit of the evidence of born-again salvation in your life, then what we know is that the Lord is going to clearly say, depart from me for I never knew you. This isn't about works-based salvation. This is about the gospel. So we ask the question, number two, what are some identifiable markers of cultural Christianity? What are some identifiable markers of cultural Christianity? Well, especially in the South, nobody's repulsed by the idea of God. You could probably, at any place we go to, bust out with Lee Greenwood, God bless America, and there would be some teary-eyed folks, right? And I'd gladly stand. Here they come, right? You almost got the whole version right there. They come out of their seats. Patriotism. And we link patriotism with faith sometimes in Christianity. And because we place those two things together, a lot of what often happens is these identifiable markers are, yes, I don't hate the idea of God. 
No, I'm not against the Ten Commandments being posted. No, yes, I will drive by a nativity scene at Christmas. Yes, we do talk. We might have a blessing in our home. Yes, I do think it's important to show up at Christmas and Easter on church and occasionally on Mother's Day if she gives me a hard enough time. Yes, I would like for my children to be involved in church because it's good for them. I've had a conversation with somebody not very recently about how they wanted to get their kid involved at our church because they needed, wanted them to be plugged in to a better social network. Now, understand me when I say this. I think it is very important that children make friends through church. I think that's a great thing. But the primary reason that somebody dropped their child off here should not be that they be in a better social network, but so that they would be plugged in to Jesus Christ and understand that through that. So there are a lot of identifiable markers of cultural Christianity. Sometimes um, when we hear about that, there, there is a familiarity with Christianity in the culture in which we live. Um, most of the time, there's certainly um, some people know some Bible stories. They know a little bit, an, enough to be dangerous at times. And so what often happens is, number three, we can become guilty of assuming the gospel. Now, what do I mean by assuming the gospel? We assume often that people are saved, don't we? You say, well, I don't assume that. I think we do. Even sometimes at church, that somebody asked the other day, how many members y'all got down there right now? And I'm almost embarrassed to tell somebody how many members, resident members we have at this church. I say, why would you be embarrassed? Because we have one of the most incredible, listen to me what I'm about to tell you, per capita, we rival just about everywhere that I can find research on in the country for our attendance, all right? That's a pretty incredible statement. For our population in our town, the amount of people that come to this church every single week is astonishing. So I'm thrilled about that. Don't hear me being negative about that. But when you see that the membership role is more than double your average attendance, something's wrong. So what does that tell me? It says, well, you, you probably got some people that need to be more committed. Yeah. But I'll, I'll do you one better than that. It tells me there's a lot of people on this church role and on a lot of church roles that are going to hear depart from me for I never knew you. Going to church won't save you. But if you care nothing for church, you're probably not saved. Do you understand the difference in what I just said? Going to church won't save you. But if you care nothing about God's church, you're probably not saved. And so understanding that we don't assume the gospel, and here's how I'm guilty oftentimes of assuming the gospel. We ask questions, questions like I asked you a moment ago. We say, are you a Christian? Oh, yeah. I'm not asking that question anymore. I'm done with that question. I want to ask a question about this, like this. I want to say, tell me about your relationship with Jesus. That's a better question. Do you see why that's a better question? If I say, are you a Christian, I've let you check a box. If I say, tell me about your relationship with Jesus, things have changed. 
I had a recent conversation where this actually changed in my life. I said, even to, tell me about the time when you met the Lord Jesus as your Savior. That's a whole lot different question than are you a, are you a Christian? And so when we quit assuming the gospel, we start asking some different questions. So I asked myself the question, I posed this question to some pastors. If we were to ask most of the people in our churches, if we were to ask this question, how do you know that you are a Christian? How would most people respond? How do you know? And I'm not, I'm not going to put any of you to the wall. But if your answer is anything other then Jesus saved my soul. If the answer doesn't start with Jesus and end with Jesus, you're lost. If it doesn't talk about how you were rescued or born again, if someone asks you why you're saved, you say, because Jesus said I could be. It all starts and ends with Jesus. And often when you ask people that question, why would God let you into His heaven? How do you know that you're saved? The way that people answer that will absolutely betray whether or not they have a true sense of the gospel. Now, this isn't about trying to give somebody some test and make them pass certain things. But if you ask someone, why would God let you into His heaven? And they, something, they say something like this. Well, you know, I've always taken care of my family. I've gone to work. I've been a good man. I've tried to be a good mama to those babies. I've always worked hard. I've never stolen anything from anybody. We try to do right by people. I've always been involved, done everything that I could do. You ask anybody in my town, they'll say, that's a stand-up guy. I'm worried that person's headed for hell. And here's why. Because they answered you by their works. They told you they were going to heaven and they began to give you a resume. And your resume will laid before the feet of Jesus will allow you to be told, depart from me for I never knew you. The only answer, the only answer is that because of Jesus and His grace and His shed blood for you and that He took your sin and He took your shame. I'm not trying to teach you how to answer a test question. I'm showing you that how we answer the questions really makes a difference on, it betrays where our heart is. So there are a lot of people, number five, that I think we could argue admire Jesus, but they don't worship Jesus. Have you noticed in the news media and across culture that people aren't repulsed by the idea of God, but they hate the idea of Jesus? You can mention a higher God, because God can mean whatever you want it to mean. But when you start talking about the person of Christ, that's where you draw a line. But in Southern culture, we're actually not repulsed by the name of Jesus. In fact, we have people that would embrace the name of Jesus, that they would say, oh, I'm, I, I love Jesus. I, I, I like what Jesus has done. And we even take Jesus and spin him into country music. Because sometimes... When just when things get really, really bad, not any of the rest of the time, just when it really goes off the rails, what do we need Jesus to do? Take the wheel, right? Now some of you are like, don't you talk about Carrie Underwood. You leave her out of this. 
I understand. I do. I get it. But listen to me. There's something wrong with your theology when you have to get to a place in life where you're like, hold on, wait a minute. I'm not running this. Things have really gone bad, so Jesus, if you don't mind, would you take over for a little while? And then when I get back on my feet again, I'll get it back again. It's like those dumb bumper stickers. I'm trying to picture all your cars right now before I insult somebody. <laughs> Jesus is my co-pilot. That is the dumbest thing I have ever heard in my life. That if you have that on the back of your car, then ride around blaring Jesus take the wheel. Because it's the same theology. In other words, Jesus, you sit in the passenger... How many of you took driver's ed? I took driver's ed. Bless his heart. One thing I learned in driver's ed from Coach OJ. It's the only thing I remember from driver's ed. Coach OJ said, if you're driving down a road and a squirrel right runs out, run over that squirrel. He said, a lot of people dead because they tried to keep from hitting a squirrel. That's the only thing I remember. I have not dodged a squirrel in 30-something years. Uh, uh, uh. But in driver's ed class, they have a brake on the passenger side. Y'all remember the brake on the passenger side? Well, I learned to drive in a navy blue Nissan Sentra. Five of us jammed up in there with a brake on the side, and Coach O.J. weighed 330 if he weighed an ounce jammed up in that Sentra. And he could take any time he wanted to and just slam the brakes down on that Sentra and stop us where, wherever we were. And what would often happen was several times during that event, I remember one time, we were on I-59. We were taking driver's ed. It met at USM. So on into the process, he took us down Hardy Street, and we were going to practice merging on the I-59. Some of you don't know this. So listen, it's free driver's ed. When you merge, you don't have the right-of-way. You have to look over your shoulder, and if there is somebody in the right lane... It is their lane. They have to either move over, stop, or speed up. You have to wait. Some of you move over any, you never look. And I can remember us being in that, and I mean, I can remember, I, I can call the guy's name right now. He was from Petal, Mississippi. And I saw my life flash for my eyes because we never looked left. We never checked the right-hand lane. And here he went, and old Coach OJ said, ah! Hit that song I was dreaming about that the other day because my daughter is taking her, her, taking her driver's test Tuesday. Y'all pray for yourselves. Pray for my family. 11 o'clock Tuesday, we've got an appointment at the driver's ed office. And is it wrong to pray that your children would fail a test? <laughs> we got a long way to go, right? I got, a, I got a long way to go. And I've thought about that this week. Because there's so many people with their theology is better defined by bumper stickers and Carrie Underwood than it is that Jesus says, I'm not going to be your Savior if I'm not going to be your Lord. I refuse to be your co-pilot. I refuse to take the wheel when things get bad. You get in the back. I'm driving. I'm the pilot. All you are, if you're saved, is a passenger with God is the one who is leading your life. That's the difference in the gospel and the garbage that we kind of have accepted and called it gospel in the world in which we live. That's how it is that people can admire Jesus 
but not worship Jesus. So how do you share Jesus with someone who thinks they're already a Christian? I think that's one of the hardest things about it. When we talk about evangelism, and the reason I think it's hard is because some of the people that have said that it was the hardest, I've been with on mission trips, and Chris and I have sit there, and your eyes pop open because they start sharing about Jesus in different places and in different cultures, and you're going, this is an evangelist. They're preaching the gospel. They're standing up before people. They're witnessing to people. And so you find yourself asking the question, why is that so hard? Two reasons. Number one, when we go on mission trips, we don't know those people. So that should be more difficult. No. It is hard to witness to somebody you know. Why? Because they know you. That's, they know you. They know your, everything, what's going on in your life. They kinda, so so you've got to be bold with that. But I think what makes it even, maybe even harder here is that if I start witnessing to you and you already believe that you're saved, I'm really worried about offending you. You just told me you're a Christian and I'm just launching into an evangelistic something with you and I told you I was a Christian. Well, the gospel is offensive. We can't forget that. It is offensive. The gospel is offensive. But when we hear the answers that we've talked about tonight, it ought to cue us in. And I've thought about this being your pastor. Some of the private conversations I have, not just pulpit conversations, but the private conversations I have, I don't necessarily, I'm not itching to offend someone. But if somebody launches into a works-based thing or their membership or a camp they went to or something good that they've done, when we ask, why should God allow you to enter His heaven? I've got to be more worried about offending God and somebody going to hell than I am about offending them. That, that's really kind of where it gets down to evangelism. So where do you begin? And I think it... I don't know if there's ever a different place to begin an evangelism. I don't care whether you're in the outskirts of a village in Africa or in South America or in Europe or in Tylertown. Where do you start? And here's why I think preaching has become shallow and there are so many people that can actually not just be church members, but be church attenders and never hear the gospel. There are people that attend churches all over the place that never hear the gospel. They hear religious talks, sermonettes. They hear um, attaboys and prosperity garbage. But what is missing when we say the gospel, we live in a culture and we are going to churches many times where the aspect of evangelism, that it is a gaping hole in our theology, is we have stopped preaching the law. Now, follow me on this. The only way for someone to know that they need to be saved is to understand that they are lost. You will never get saved if you don't understand that you're lost. 
That doesn't matter whether you're a cultural Christian, whether you don't believe in God, whether or not you're Muslim, whether or not you're tribal, whether or not you're Southern, whatever it is, there's no way for someone to get saved until they understand that they're lost. So how does someone come to the knowledge that they're lost? The only way that they come to the knowledge that they're lost is by the preaching of the law. Now, when I say the law, specifically, I'm talking about the Ten Commandments. Until you know that you're a lawbreaker, you won't understand why you need grace. But we rush out of law so quickly to get to grace that oftentimes people never understand that how accountable they are or that God is a judge before him. So where do we start? We start with the law of God before we race to the grace and the forgiveness of God. 35%, this is nationwide, number seven, nationwide. This is not in the South, this is nationwide. 35% of American adults claim to have made a personal commitment to Christ. That's different than saying, I'm a Christian. That's saying that they have had a personal decision in their life where they have come to Christ. But only 7% of people hold orthodox views, meaning biblical views of the gospel. How is it that 90% of the people where we live would check the Christian box? That nearly 40% of people nationwide would say that they have made a personal commitment to Jesus, but yet only 7% of people, when you get down, when you say, what do you mean orthodox views? I'm not talking about weird aspects of theology. I'm talking about these types of aspects of theology. Was Jesus virgin born? Did he live a sinless life? Did he die on the cross? Did he rise again? Is he the only way to salvation? Was he the substitutionary sacrifice? Can you get to heaven any other way but through him? The Trinity. I'm talking about very basic aspects of Christian theology. If only 7% of people hold orthodox views, I would submit to you that the most that the biggest percentage of people in the United States that are saved, the largest percent that it could possibly be is 7%. Because you can't believe wrong about the person and work of Jesus and be saved. You can't. So a lot of people will tell you within our country half of people are saved. There's no way. Absolutely no way. And if 50% of people in the United States are saved, and this is what we got, that's shameful. But it's not. We are a born-again believers are a vast minority. Now, this is challenging what a lot of people will say because people will ask this question, do you believe that we are a Christian nation? Now, I'm treading on some thin ice with a lot of people because there's been some politicians who have got themselves in some very hot water about that question. Do you believe that we are a Christian nation? If 7% of people are Christian, is that a Christian nation? No. Now, if you ask the question a different, different way, 
do you believe that we were founded on Judeo-Christian principles? The answer is yes. You didn't ask me about historicity. I'm talking about, but if we can accept that we are no longer a Christian nation, but that we are not even post-Christian, but that we are now a pagan nation, we look much more like Babylon and Rome than we ever did like a city on the hill. Period. If that's the case, I think that is refreshing for the church to realize, guess what? The Bible's right. You're an alien and a stranger. You are not in the moral majority. You are not in some right-wing group that everybody in the nation is going to join a part of and that somehow through politics we're going to see a great revival among the American spirit. One of the great problems in the South is we are more worried about the state of the United States than we are the state of the church. United States is going away. Now, this isn't some prediction about next month or next year. Eventually, it's gone. The only thing that will be left is the church. So why do you think Jesus told us to store up for ourselves treasures in heaven which moth cannot destroy, right? What, is the, what am I hoping for? That's the church. So what I'm seeing is that we are a vast minority, but we have an incredible gospel. And we don't back up. We don't back away. We recognize that in the midst of this, I think there's going to be a clarion call that now to be salt and light, it isn't going to be about checking a box. It's going to be standing up for a Savior who's the only way that any of you could ever possibly be saved. My prayer for you this week is that you wouldn't have sat through countless church services and been on the rolls of churches for decades and that one day you might hear those horrible words, depart from me for I never knew you. I know it's a Wednesday night, but I'm not about to make the assumption that every person listening to the sound of my voice, whether in this room or by broadcast, truly would enter the Lord's heaven. It is only by grace. It is only through Jesus. It is by His shed blood. You must be born again. You must be born again. It's the only way unto salvation. So, Lord Jesus, we bow before your throne. And, God, we recognize that it is difficult in the place in which we live when cultural Christianity seems to define us. To, Lord Jesus, break through that mold and recognize that religion never saved anyone. Only a Savior saves. And you are that great and glorious Savior. So, Lord Jesus, it is to the gospel that we bow and come and thank you. And, Lord Jesus, I pray that not only would we show a renewed allegiance to that wonderful gospel, but that, Lord, we would recognize in our own life that the only reason that we won't hear those horrible words to depart out of your presence is because of that man on the middle cross. So, Lord Jesus, thank you for telling me that I could come. That I could bring my weary soul unto you. 
that I could bring my garbage of sin and stain and guilt. That, Lord, you'd take it and you'd die for it and you'd defeat it. Thank you, Jesus, for new life with you. May we live our lives victoriously in praise. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to FBC Summit. We are leading everyday people to love Jesus and make Him known. For more information, visit our website, fbcsummit.org.